So if you haven't heard of NAR, and this is actually our third take, I'm just going to be honest. So if you haven't heard of NAR, it sounds like a really good acronym for a Bible study, maybe a, a, a new website or a podcast, but it's not. It's not. NAR, NAR is gnarly because it, it stands for something that, that's really bad, but we'll, we're going to get to that. So you're listening to the Warcast. It's the official podcast of Warcry Media. I am going to be your host, Aaron Osuna, today. And then joining me is Dave Schumacher. I know people mess it up all the time and call you the shoemaker, but you're not the shoemaker. You're a plumber, so get it right. So, yeah. Even though it actually is shoemaker. Is it is shoemaker? Not shoemaker. It's not shoemaker? <laughs> no. Dude. Okay. <laughs> Wow. I really thought it was Schumacher. It's Shoemaker. Yes. Okay. Wow. I don't know my own my own host. <laughs> and I call him my friend. Well, so we do have a Shoemaker, but he's not a Shoemaker. His last name's a big lie. Um, so, kind of, well, that's a great transition. We're talking about lies today. Um, so, we're talking about NAR. And if you've never heard of what NAR is, that is, that is an acronym, um, an abbreviation for a, a movement, if you can call it a, a movement, um, the, it's called the New Apostolic Reformation. Um, now, D- Dave uh, is is someone I've talked with with this about this uh, several times, and the reason we want to bring it up on, on the show is is quite simply because it, it's such a it's such a large movement, and. Uh, if if you look at the 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 major demographic coming up in our it's it's kind of our generation, um, and 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 you know a generation that might be younger than us. So what it's really doing is it's it's attracting the next generation of if you just want to simply call them churchgoers. I uh, don't you don't necessarily need to say Christians, but it is attracting the next the next generation of churchgoers. It's pretty much drawing kids back into church who have either been disassociated with it, have been sick of how church is traditionally done. And uh, it's doing that for several reasons, of which we'll get into. Um, But Dave, how did you uh, first come across the New Apostolic Reformation? Um, Personally, for me, I grew up in the church, uh, baptized as an infant in a Lutheran church. I was confirmed in the Lutheran Church and uh, drifted far away from that. Uh, More than drifted, I'd say ran uh, into much sin and eventually being cast down and broken, the Lord drew me to himself. But I think the big thing with the NAR is uh, that they are so big on experience and they they teach you this lie, and I mean I think even the lost world has this idea of if there's a God, then the more weird stuff is, and the more crazy it is, then the more of God it is, mm. because God would God's different than us, and He's crazier and bigger, and He does stuff that we can't do, and so if there's miracles and and all this this false assumption that the Bible is. Every page is filled with a thousand miracles, and that's what God does throughout the entire Bible. And so there's this idea that the weirder something is, the more of God it is. And that's how this movement gains momentum, and that's how it was with me coming back to the church. Um, it's this, this thought of wanting to see something cool happen 
and wanting to be part of something cool and see something cool and having the wrong idea of what something cool even is. We know that, biblically speaking, something cool would be someone as me who was dead in sin and transgression and brought to life. There's nothing better than that. But yeah. uh, the NAR teaches that there's these experiences and that when things are getting weird and God is moving, then that's true um, Christianity. And so that was my experience with it coming back, watching some of these videos. I don't know how I got into watching um, Finger of God and Father of Lights and these videos with Darren Wilson, but that was really where my first uh, seeing of these things was. I think it was possibly even listening to some of Jesus culture at that time and that's really the inroads to those ministries, but watching them go out in the streets and quote unquote love on people while doing these ministries of, of healing people and doing uh, treasure hunt type things where you pray and ask God to give you a special word and you go out and you look for that thing. And I think it was exciting trying to say like, oh, well, we can hear directly from God and we can go do direct things acting as if God only wants me to tell this one specific person, not even the gospel, but hey, God just wants us to pray for you and he loves you. Yeah. Instead of the Bible commanding us to preach repentance and faith to all people. And so you just, it becomes this cool thing to do. Oh, God is talking to me and there's these weird things happening around us and it must be of God because it's weird and it's, it's unusual. And that was my first inroads to it was seeing some of that stuff and, and thinking, okay, this is, this is God moving because these people are telling me it is. And I see them doing these things and it seems like they're actually um, helping these people and, it really comes from a misunderstanding of God's word, uh, a lack of reading God's word, a lack of knowing who God is. And um, instead just listening to these false teachers and these liars and then not examining it for yourself. And that's, uh, I think that's where a lot of people get trapped in it. Yeah. Well, I think you pointed out two really big assumptions in that. And I want to get to those. I want to introduce the movement just a little bit. And then I actually want to get into those assumptions before we maybe define or uh, or if we have the time, get to define some of some of the uh, things within the movement that are, I mean, the whole movement itself is troubling, but yes. there are certain aspects of the movement that are more troubling than others. Yes. So w- when we're talking about the new apostolic reformation, it's really hard to nail it down simply because it, it, try going online. You're not going to find the like, NewApostolicReformation.org or anything like that. Yeah. There, there's no official uh, movement. There's no official, you know, um, men who have over the years been able to document these things, like uh, Chris Rosebro or Fighting for the Faith, or you're thinking of um, Todd Friel. Todd Friel. I'm almost the freakishly tall dude, <laughs> Justin Todd, Peters. Yeah, too. Justin Peters, Todd Friel. Uh, there, there are plenty of men who have done the the work over the years of showing how this movement has grown, it's transformed, um, and, and they've just even they will will tell you it, you can't nail it down as far as like what exactly is the new apostolic reformation because one it's it's not a denomination. There's there's no real authority structure within it. There's no real sense of like accountability as okay. Here's our here's our parameters. Here's our guidelines. If you step over these areas, 
then you'll be under some kind of discipline or you'll be outside of, of NAR. So there's really, when we're trying to define this thing, it's almost like trying to define uh, like some secular movement of, you know, if you think about what's going on with like something like the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so broad and encompasses so much um, that the only thing you can really describe about it as a movement is some of its characteristics, not necessarily nailing it down to a specific denomination or a specific um, set of people. Well, they don't label themselves either. It's not like where you drive by our church and you see First Baptist Church. Mm. You know, we we are uh, we are proud of that heritage, and we you know say a lot with our name. But you don't drive by Bethel and see you know First Nar Church of Reading. You know they they don't label themselves that way. So. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit, and it's the same way with the NAR. You see, you examine fruit, things that are going on at these churches. You examine things that they're saying, the language that they're using. I mean, you can, it's pretty, I can tell pretty quickly within a couple sentences of talking to somebody using certain language that they're involved in those sorts of things. So that's really the only way to figure out, okay, is this, is the NAR making inroads to these certain churches, um, which it is all over America, Baptist, Presbyterian, it doesn't matter. They're, they're making inroads to those churches and you only know not because they label it, but because of the language they use and, and their neglect of God's word. Yeah. Yeah. So there, in essence, there are characteristics of the new apostolic reformation. So that's not to say that name isn't used at all, you know, and I think what what Dave is summing up for is it is it, there's not a technical definition of New Apostolic Reformation. It's not a label per se, an official label or denomination. No. So why are we trying to nail this down? Well, because it's it, it, yes, it's dangerous. And and I think two of the things that you brought up when we when we started the the two things that make this dangerous is is one. The, the way it's attracting young people is, I think, based around this. They've seen religion, you know, just religion in general. And you kind of have your traditional, you dress up, you go to a building, you hear some older guy who's held in higher esteem than you and your family say some really pious things, and then you're told to go act very moral, and there's really no change. It's cold, it's dead, mm-hmm. it's rigid, and it doesn't feel like the spirit of the age, which, it, there, like you said, there's this assumption, even in America, even among secular people, that there should be this, ex, like, it should be so experienced and emotional and, and emotionally driven that if you're not experiencing those things, then then obviously there's, no, there's something wrong mm. there. Either the magic's not there, or if you want to put it in religious words, God isn't yeah, there. Because, God himself. like you said... The biggest assumption is the idea that God has to move or has to be like this. God can't be mm-hmm. like people showing up to church on Sunday, being convicted of sin, people being saved from darkness to light, and then uh, and and then them living in in the in the new life and the new creation that they've been made into. Rather, it has to be like you said, going out and performing miracles or seeing amazing acts of God where that either ends up turning into people rolling on the floor mm-hmm. or spontaneously like bursting into laughter or whatever it may be. It's associated with this idea that 
the the wilder, the crazier, the more erratic, and the more the more spontaneous that these things happen, that boom, that, that must be how how the spirit works because he's he's a spirit. You don't know what he's doing, and so well the the ironic thing, real quick too, of that is that it's really a walking by sight and not by faith, and yet they claim that we don't have enough faith. I mean, I've been told by people in this movement when my wife had a miscarriage that it was because we didn't have enough faith for the baby to live. And we're the ones that are told that we have lack of faith, yet they can only walk with God if they're seeing all these crazy things happening and feeling all these crazy things happening. And I mean, that's it's just ironic that it's completely backwards, that they need they say that they need to be experiencing these things to know that God is there, but yet the Bible tells us to walk by faith and not by sight. So it's yeah. it's just crazy how subtle Satan twists these things, and and it's so easy in an age where people are heaping together teachers for their itching ears, it's so easy for Satan to do that and for everybody to jump on board. Yeah, that's true. That See, we have more faith because we're doing these weird things, and you have no faith because you're not. When and when that's obviously biblically backwards, yeah. You know, so well, and I think that really highlights the second one, the what you will see the difference between what we could call orthodox Christianity, which has been the Christianity of the last two thousand years, is driven com- driven by a completely different idea of how one not not simply how we know God, but also how we experience God. Um, because they would obviously say they know God in part through the Bible. And I don't think any of them would say necessarily like, oh yeah, well, that's not how we don't know God, but that there has to be some knowing and knowledge of God that is so driven by experience. It's so driven by the mentality that God has to move this way and not mm-hmm. that way, that actually what ends up happening is their idea and view of God is not driven first and foremost by the Bible or Scripture, it's it's driven by experience. It's driven by these mm-hmm. these erratic, high energy, highly emotional, highly emotionally charged events. And then if the Bible ever does come into play, it like you said, that subtle twist happens. Because what what is driving it is not like, okay, the Bible says this, therefore it's really gonna shape my experience. And it's also gonna change how I how I should experience things. Mm-hmm. Rather it's I have these experiences, I think this is how God moves, and then I get to something like, oh, we, we live by faith, not by sight, and then we just we have this subtle twist of what that actually looks like. And so I, I think you're right, that is a huge, actually, irony that I never thought about before, is if you live, if you're in this movement, and, and your idea is living by faith and not by sight, but the only way you're being sustained is because you're living for the next experience, if you're living for the next big thing, if you're living for the next emotional high, it it's never going to satisfy, and hopefully it doesn't. It's oh. just it's really it's just like any other it's really like any other addict, mm. um, if you think about it. Because a- any addict, no matter what the drug is, no matter how subtle it is, alcohol, you're always looking for that next big thing. And I mean, being um, somebody who was in that life, it's always the next one is going to be the one that's the best one, and 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 it never it never just evens out at okay this is enough it's always going 
you go to get that high, that emotional high, and you need something bigger next time. You're never just fulfilled on that. It's never enough. You're never, as the Bible tells us, to be satisfied in the Lord. And that doesn't happen with that because uh, they they do everything based on that emotionalism and that experience. And and you did nail it too that they they read the Bible. I mean, and and like I said, I was I was part of this movement and. The Bible is read and interpreted in light of the experience that you've had instead of what you said we should do is take the Bible and interpret our experiences through that. Um, this experience must have been false because it goes against God's word. Yeah. But not only do they not have God's word as the number one and most important thing, they have it as a small piece, almost a fraction of walking with God. And even then... People like Bill Johnson will say, you know, don't don't read your Bible too much. Don't get involved in too much of this because you're going to be quenching the spirit. You know, and it's uh, he knows that if people know their Bible well enough, they're not going to be listening to him yeah. because of the things he says that are just completely against God's word. Yeah. So. Well, and I think that's a that's a transition. I want to describe a, a, a bit more of this. Because I, I think, in essence, what this movement... If you can boil this movement down to one principle that they all share, to me, that highlights what they're about, it, it's it's kind of like what other men have summed it up, that they see that NAR, this, this new apostolic reformation, in instead of being a movement driven by the Bible or driven by the church or whatever it, it may be, it's a movement that's driven by what they would call the Spirit, where God gives them revelation to leaders and to followers, and then they're to go out and do mighty things in light of that revelation. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and we'll, we'll have a lot more opportunities, I think, to be able to examine different people, to, ex- to examine different things in this. But I think that's at the heart of, of NAR. It, it's this idea, and... I, and so you got to know one key leader and component of this, of what is kind of driving this theologically, is a man named C. Peter Wagner. And C. Peter Wagner um, is kind of the, the, he's been called like the theologian in residence for NAR. He, mm-hmm. he, I believe he taught at Fuller, right? He was a, yeah. was he a professor at, at Fuller Seminary? And he is the guy who kind of put the, like, okay, we need a theology stamp on this from a guy who's, you know, got like a, a the word doctor in his name. Yeah. And it, it's it's from him where we kind of get the, the the theology built. So and, and then a lot of leaders like Bill Johnson and and Mike Bickle and and, and Lou Engle and all these different guys kind of get their 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 shtick from is from C. Peter Wagner. And so he's really building off this idea that there's this third move or this third awakening of the spirit where the the spirit once again is moving by giving the church apostles and prophets revealing things in revelation like hey god has a word literally you know thus says the lord kind of word mm-hmm. and so that that's really at the at the heart of this movement so see see peter wagner kind of gives the the movement its its foundation and its uh theological credibility because of his name and that's kind of how this this thing get, gets moving. So what you do see in this movement, some characteristics of its leaders that should tip your hat to say, okay, 
They don't say the word or the phrase New Apostolic Reformation, but these should highlight certain things for you to go, maybe I should look out for that. I believe, though, I'd have to look into it again, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that name came from C. Peter Wagner. Yes, no, you're right. And it did. So he that's, coined the term. I mean, they, they it's not like we made up this name for them. That's, that's C. Peter Wagner that came up with the New Apostolic Reformation, which is, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because I just had a conversation with a Mormon for almost two hours at Hobby Lobby, of all places, right in front of the <laughs> register with everyone else standing around. But that was... You had a Mormon at Hobby Lobby? <laughs> and that, that, was, uh, that was one of the big things was him saying, how can we be a real church? How can the Baptist denomination be a real church if we don't have 12 prophets or apostles to look to? Because what Jesus wanted to do in establishing the Mormon church was going back to the true church, which is having 12 apostles. Adam, he was adamant about that, that, that a, church, a true church has to have these apostles and prophets. And that's really the emphasis of the New Apostolic Reformation is no one else in, in the first century could question the apostles because they had been with Jesus and they had, they're speaking in the Holy Spirit and doing these signs and wonders and things. And that's what C. Peter Wagner was teaching, and that's what they teach, is that God has reestablished the office of apostle in these later days, and these people are made apostles of the church. I mean, they even have ridiculous names like general and stuff like that, but they're claiming to be apostles, and uh, that's the same argument, is, is how can you argue with these men who are hearing from God, ordained by God, same type of stuff that Benny Hinn says, you can't touch the Lord's anointed. And uh, when they say that they are apostles of the Lord, then it makes it very hard for people in that movement to question them. Instead of questioning them, they just mimic them because they're under the impression that these people are the reestablished apostles of God. And that's, it's just... To say those things makes anybody that's deceived basically shunned if you question that because you're questioning an apostle, you know, and yeah. who would question Paul or Peter? Yep. And so it's it makes it very difficult. And it's so much like a cult in that way. I mean, that's it was eerie almost hearing the Mormon talk about those things because that's pretty much exactly what they're saying as well. Yeah, and, and that kind of gets back to how we summed it up the New Apostolic Reformation is summed up by this idea that it's the Spirit of God that moves, gives revelation, and to its leaders and its followers. Yep. And and at the heart of that is this. You don't find these men are, like, meeting in councils and with other churches, and at least it—I mean, you at least got to give it to Mormons— that they don't like guys just don't go out saying, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm an apostle in the Mormon church. Yeah. Like they have a process, you know, now it's wrong, right? We, we obviously <laughs> think it's wrong. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but the, the heart of this movement is this spont, you know, spontaneity where you get a revelation. God reveals to you that you're, he, you're an apostle or you're a prophet and boom, yeah. you are one. Yeah. And so, or you could pay to be one yeah. online for about 40 bucks. You yeah. could become an apostle. So, And uh, so, you know, these leaders are often marked by the fact that they're self-appointed and that there's, but then it leads to the thing you're talking about. This self-appointing makes it impossible for there to be accountability. Mm-hmm. The same way at like mega churches, 
when there's the lead pastor who has a vision for the church, mm-hmm. to come against the vision is to pretty much come against God, yeah. because where did that vision come from? Um, and so in the same way, it's hard to question these men or to even think for people who are sucked in and or, and who are um, brought into the movement to even think about questioning these people, because one, they call themselves apostles and prophets. There, mm-hmm. There's a status behind it. And uh, so, you know, that that's one big mark of the New Apostolic Reformation. Uh, but the others are, are, I mean, the others are even a little bit harder to nail down is, is what these leaders um, are and what they do or how they're associated. But that's obviously the biggest one, that there is this idea of authority tied behind the name of apostle or prophet. And then whether, you know, they even use the name or the, or, or the phrase, they're out doing the very things we're describing. They're, they're, they're saying, I am, have a revelation from God. Or they're or they're speaking in tongues or or you know fake tongues. <laughs> they're they're mouthing gibberish. They're falling on the floor. They're 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 saying things that have no um they have no like rationale to them. They're just words scrambled together in a sentence. Like blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Now that doesn't make any sense, but be, because they they slap revelation on there, they slap the name of God on there, and they slap that. Uh, title of apostle on it, then, well, then all of a sudden it does make sense for them and their followers. Well, and to touch on that real quick, the as far as not being able to question them too, the the problem is in that, that if somebody says, I'm an apostle and people start listening to him, well, then they actually give each other credibility as well, you know, as well as them giving themselves credibility. So someone else starts preaching and they, a few people go to him and say, yes, um, we acknowledge this man. I mean, Todd Bentley is a perfect example when he was got drunk and started uh, committing adultery on his wife. And then Bill Johnson and these other people come around him and say, oh, we need to be gracious to him and we restore him back to ministry. And then who can question that? Because this group of quote unquote apostles comes around this man and says, God wants to give this man grace. And even though he committed adultery on his wife and during the, I don't know if it was the Toronto blessing or what, I think one of those that they called it, and he was drunk half the time. Yep. Well, it's okay because we're going to give him grace and it's from God and we're apostles. Yeah. So for these apostles to come around this other guy and say, well, we as apostles are acknowledging him also as being one. Well, how can you go against that? You know, the Lord said it. And so that's, and you've already acknowledged us as being apostles and we acknowledge him. And it's a, it's a never ending perpetual growth that isn't going to be stopped until people realize the falsehood in it. So, yeah. And at the heart of that is scripture is not driving any of it. Scripture is not driving how you should view a man who commits adultery on his wife, let alone how you should be viewing people who call themselves apostles and prophets and say they have revelation from God. Uh, there's, there's not this idea, and this is, this is probably the hardest thing to communicate to somebody who's in the movement to say, you're not allowing the Bible. If you, mm-hmm. if the Bible is God's word, you are not allowing God to actually dictate what, not only what you experience, but what you should also believe and, and why you should believe those things. So when stuff like that happens, that you know, it's it's kind of like the good old boy club. If you can get the 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 title of apostle and prophet, then you can do stuff like that because you're just going to kind of get 
you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to get absolved of your sin by pretty much getting sprinkled instead of with water, you're going to get, you know, sprinkled with the spirit <laughs> and all of it's just going to be forgotten because they can do that. And right? it's all feelings based. Once again, all that, all of that comes from feelings as where you may, you may show up with them when they're doing something like that and say, look, according to God's word, this man should no longer be in ministry ever again. Yeah. And he has put reproach on the name of Christ. He has stained his name. He can go to a, a godly church and he can sit in the back and or wherever he wants to sit and he can be ministered to and he can be um, grow in repentance and grace, but he's no longer to be in ministry. And they'll say things. And if you listen to that account, well, I feel like God doesn't want to do that in this case. I feel like God wants to restore him. And, and when their feelings go against exactly what the word of God says, every single time they're going to choose their feelings. Yeah. And I've seen it again and again and again when I've been talking to these people. I mean, here on the streets of Las Vegas, many times I've been down there doing evangelism and a group of 10 to 20 to 30 of these people show up trying to heal people and do miracles to people down there on Fremont Street. And you bring, you open your Bible and you show them things that they're saying are wrong and they tell you that they've had this feeling, this revelation from God that that's not the case, that they can do this, they can say this, uh, that that Bible verse doesn't apply to them in this situation. And so it's impossible to tell somebody that your feelings are wrong if they don't have a higher authority of God's word because their feelings go over God's word. It supersedes God's word. And they, they say, yeah, well, God's word says that, but you know, I know God and that's a lie. They say too, I know God personally, not just through his word. He speaks to me personally, Mm. you know? So when you say, well, I have this right here and in here, it says this, well, God told me last night audibly this. Yeah. And it's like, what are you supposed to say about that? You know? Yeah. Well, this has been written down and established. This is closed. This is God's word. He doesn't change. Well, he told me last night that he does. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't deny even that sometimes people are hearing things, but it's not God. Yeah. Satan is deceptive. He comes as an angel of light. And, and we, the problem is God's word has to be foundational. And I mean, I, I love the quote by Steve Lawson where he, he says, the moment a person or a church takes their foot, both feet planted firmly off the word of God and takes one foot off, he puts it on a banana peel and starts slip sliding away. And yeah. that's exactly <laughs> what it is. You, you, take, you take one foot on God's word and you put one foot on maybe God still does these things. It's inevitable. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's not in your generation. Maybe it's not even your kid. But your grandkid, the generations following in those churches, they're they're taking a foot off of God's word and putting it on a maybe, and eventually it's going to slide off. You know? Yeah, and I think that kind of highlights, I think, a big second characteristic of the movement that you can kind of nail something down is, it one, it's driven by self-appointed men. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, well, let, let's not forget the ladies, too. There are ladies, yes, that's true. <laughs> too. But yeah, that's that's the thing is uh, most I'd say most of the I it's a shame to call them pastors but most of these men that are claiming to be leaders it's usually a team a combo effort it's usually pastor 
you know, Dane and Vicky or whatever. It's it's a combo of the husband and the wife. It's these are the pastors yeah. of this church. You know, so which uh, that's a whole nother issue we can get yeah, into. But <laughs> but uh, you know, so the second characteristic I think, and we'll maybe we'll wrap it up with this characteristic, but really characterized by like what you said. And I don't use it lightly, but like cultic language. Mm-hmm. And so, so what I, it you know, people hear the word cult, and I, honestly, the first thing I think that pops into a lot of people's minds is like Jim Jones. <laughs> and so they think like drinking, Kool-Aid. drinking the Kool Aid. Uh, you know, pe- people are are you know being killed, or you think of like cults like in crazy parts of the world where they're like slaughtering children or whatever. Yeah. So when I say that, don't let don't use that as like, oh, he said the word cult. I'm not going to listen to him. But just just think about all the different types of cults. There, there's a language that builds within um, those communities and within those groups, where the, where you can say certain words, you can say certain phrases, um, and you can talk about things like you said. Where one of the, I think the key aspects of this, where it's cult-ish, it's cult-like, is this idea that you know. Even though God's word says this, God said this to me, mm-hmm. or I had this experience, and I know this to be true because you can't of tell me this, I'm wrong. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You, and that really, that is, I don't know what's more cult like than that. Mm-hmm. If you cannot be corrected, if you cannot come and, and have the Bible as your final authority, then you won't even read it to examine to see. Exactly. I mean, that's, if we break it down, that is. Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Islam, I mean, all of that is go and read the Book of Mormon and if and God will give you a burning in your bosom and you will know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then no matter what the Bible says, it doesn't matter because you had this feeling. So, yeah. I mean, Islam, it's, you know, we have a Jesus too and, and this book um, was written by our prophet who had these revelations from God. Our prophet Muhammad had these revelations directly from God. And and so whatever you say to me and whatever that Bible says, it doesn't matter because this was directly from God. I mean, it's uh, uh, like you said, when you can't, there's no way to correct it. And there's no way for them to even examine himself. It, it's by the grace, solely by the grace of God that I and my wife were taken away from that, from from the New Apostolic Reformation, because I have people that I knew that are still deep in it, family members that are deep in it. It's... I mean, you cannot get out of it based on that fact that, that you can't tell me I'm wrong because of this. And I've seen these things happen. I, I've watched them with my own eyes. This is, I saw things when I was involved in that. Some of them I can't explain. Yeah. Um, but, and, and that's why it's so easy to get ingrained because I saw them and I, I tell people even now what I saw, some things that I saw. And the only way for me to explain them is that uh, there's a lot of deception in that. And and it's easy to see those things and say, okay, it's been authenticated to me. And yeah. that's exactly like the cult of Mormonism. It's yeah. It's been authenticated by the burning in my bosom, and I'm never going to leave now. And that's the same thing as the NAR. It's been authenticated by this and this and this. And now no matter what you say, I'm never going to leave because it's been authenticated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, that's to me, that's the biggest danger. It's it's absolute. I mean, the theology is obviously driving that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if you're going to try to talk to somebody about this, if you start saying, "Well, the theology behind you," they're gone. Yeah. You're, they're not going to listen, and and uh, because you're already using 
you're using words, you're using phrases that even if they know, they're associating it with cold, cold dead, dead you know, churches with the brick buildings who just sits, you know, sit still with a hymnal and look depressed while they sing about the, the glory. Chosen. Yeah. <laughs> and so when, when we're talking about it, it I think it's, it's even best. Yes, there is theology behind it that's driving it, but, but at the heart of it, is is the second thing it's 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 driven by what i think is right mm-hmm. ultimately that's what it is it, it's what i think it now the that, garden of eden <laughs> yeah exactly be and your it, own god yeah be mm-hmm. your own and it in that and that be your own god may even seem more religious to you because you've kind of boxed it in a little bit in under this loose broad movement of say well you know it, it's at least within the confines of this new apostolic reformation where we're we're worshiping God and we're not worshiping like a statue mm. or something like that. And he has the Bible up on the stage. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't open it. But... Jesus is on his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but at the at the end of the day, it that's what that's the heart of it. And I think that's what I would want people to know the most. If you're in this, you got to be able to ask yourself the question: Who's the final authority? And like you said, if if every conversation comes down to my experience trumps what anybody says. If my experience trumps even what I know to be true, what I what I know, um, my experience doesn't comport with, with with the world that I live in, the things that I see, the way people normally live and act. Um, there's a problem there, mm-hmm. and and to just simply to to paint over it as supernatural or being from God. At that point, you have no other way to distinguish yourself between something like that or something like Mormonism. It, and I, I'm going to say it, or even something like Jim Jones. Mm-hmm. You Now, I'm not saying people like that are like him. What I'm saying is the principle is there. Um, so it's like, it's like what you said earlier with the example. If you've taken that one foot off the authority of God's Word, and you have put it on the banana peel. Well, obviously, people who are in like really, really, really extreme cults that we see do crazy things that make the news, well, they've slid way down. You know, they both feet are off, have stepped on the banana, and they've completely slid off and and, and fallen. Um, but at the end of the day, the same principle is still there. There's no way that you can actually test. And there's no way that you can actually be corrected because at the end of the day, it's you. And so it just ends up becoming mm-hmm. this circle where your experience just to validate your experience. And it becomes this yeah. very cyclical, this, this, this very circular way of reasoning. And that's dangerous. That's extremely dangerous. And, you know, I'll, I'll end it with this and then you can, and, and then you can um, say whatever you want about it. But I've talked with a couple people that I know who have been involved with this. And what I'm always trying to tell them is, is, look, if you ever meet someone in the movement, most of them are not like really weird people. Now, they do some weird things. Yeah. And, and the way they talk about God and stuff is weird. But like if you were to run into them at the store, uh, you probably wouldn't be like, Oh look, he's dressed all funny. He's got like the he, you know, he's got like all the 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 outward appearance of being in you know a movement or something. They just look like regular people, and a lot of them are are, are younger, mm. 
age adults who are and you know, very nice and yes. very loving yes. and very kind. That's yes. the thing is they they're not just out there trying to devour people's souls. Like they they I believe they genuinely do want to love people and they think that this is the way to do it. Yeah. And so and, and so I think what I always try to explain to them is look the way that you judge, the way that you uh the, the the way that you try to hold together your experiences when it comes to this, when it comes to God, the way you justify that you don't you don't use that same reasoning you don't use that same judgment you don't think like that in any other area of life you don't act like that when you go to the store you don't act like that when you pay your bills you don't act like that when you go to your job that is not what you use that that, that is not the that is not the way that you reason when you do anything else in life except for this and so you you know i, I what i'm trying to do is just show them look it's not even consistent with the way you live. And if there's an inconsistency there, it's probably the sign that something's wrong. And it's not the way that you're living in these other areas that's wrong. It's it's what you think about God and your experience of God that I, that I think is wrong. And so that's what I'm hopefully trying to do is, you know, put, put the rock in their shoe for them to really start thinking like, you know what, I'm not consistent with that. I don't think like that in any other way of my life except for this. So why do I allow my experience to just trump everything and create this very cyclical, circular reasoning. And hopefully that is what begins. I mean, obviously it's going to be the Spirit of God getting somebody out of something like this. But hopefully that is a is a thing that can be used to say, man, something's wrong here. Something's not consistent in the way I think about God and compared to what how I act and live in my every other um, area of life. And I... I mean, honestly, I think that brings it all the way back to the beginning where they think of stuff with God as being always, I'm not saying God may not do a miracle in someone's life today. I'm not saying God may not heal somebody, but they think of things with God as always being something radical and crazy and weird and different. And I think that's where the inconsistency is allowed to be there because well, that's just normal everyday life. That's my job or my bank account or my mm. bill paying. I've They don't say, I feel like my bill should be half of what it is, so I'm going to pay <laughs> that. You know, They pay it. And the reason why they do that is because they separate God from everyday life. They think that God does weird stuff. He's crazy. I mean, if when we get into some of the quotes from them, that's exactly what they think, that God is crazy and weird and like the genie from Aladdin. And... Mm. and the other the other part of life is just like okay that's just normal mundane stuff yeah and so they make this separation but um i wanted to end just with saying that and hopefully we can talk about some more of this stuff but just that the main thing that i believe saved me during that time from going further down it was just this insatiable appetite god gave me to read his word mm. and to to even though i was doing those things i was uh, god had me devout to reading his word every day for hours at a time uh, new, new and early in the faith and Without that, I never would have been able to see those things. I never, and then getting me into a solid church that preached expositionally, verse by verse, uh, through the Bible. Because the the issue is, I believe one hundred percent that the issue is that 
there's not this belief that this this God's word is the foundational thing that yeah. we need to base everything yeah. on. And it's the same thing. I've used this analogy a lot. I'm sure other people have heard it. Um, but if you are in this movement, and even if you're not to know these things as well, that when they train FBI agents to go and with counterfeit bills and stuff like that, they give them a real $100 bill. And they have them look at that and stare at that for months and months and months and years to know that hundred dollar bill and all the all of the bills like the back of their hand to know it perfectly exactly. And in order to do that, there has to be a real one. It can't just be a bunch of fakes and we're just, oh, I feel like this one's real. I feel like that one's real. There has to be a real one. And then when they know that one so perfectly and they go out and they bust people, they can spot a fake instantly, immediately, yeah. because they've stared at the real thing for so much, so long. And that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is that real one. It's the real thing that we need to be so acquainted with that when we step into an NAR church or a church that's having NAR inroads, we can immediately say, hey, that is different than what God's word says. Yeah. That is different than how the apostles live. That is different than what Jesus said. When when the Holy Spirit in your NAR church is making much of himself and the true NAR or the true Holy Spirit came to bear witness of Christ and not make much of himself, and we step into a church where it's all about Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that, we can say, hey, based on the word of God that I know as the true and living real thing, that's fake. That's yeah. a fraud. That's yep. not real. And so, I mean, that's the one thing I would plead with people that are listening to these teachers, heeding their, their teachings. You have to acquaint yourself with the word of God. More than acquaint yourself, you have to dive into it. You have to know it. You have to be able to spot a fraud. And that's not going to happen if you're not beholding Christ in his word. Yeah. I mean, Christ... It, it, they, it's tricky because they talk about Jesus, Jesus, this Jesus, that Jesus culture, you yeah. know, but, but they emphasize the Holy spirit and the Holy spirit emphasizes Christ. Yes. So, uh, it's just, you have, you have to know God's word. You have to be in his word. And when you are, I promise you that if you, if you know God's word and you dive into it and you're in this movement, slowly, I promise you, God is going to start revealing things to you. You're going to be there. You're going to be listening to whoever is teaching you, and you're going to start having questions in your head. That's exactly what happened to me. I was reading his word, and I started seeing something they're saying is different than something I just read. Mm -hmm. I just read something in God's word, and it didn't say what he just said. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit's going to use God, use his word to draw you away from that, to show you what's real, what's fake. And and so I just, I plead with you, um, know God's word. That's, uh, that's our truth. That's our foundation. That's our, our, our true authentic thing that shows, you know, what everything else is. That's a lie. So, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's a great place for us to finish because we're going to, we're going to turn this into a series but at, at the heart of it, I, all I can do is just echo what you've said. At the heart of it, it's knowing the real from the fake. Mm -hmm. But but the problem in the heart of the movement is that there's no way you can actually know what's real and what's fake if at the end of the day, all that guarantees what's real and fake is my experience. Mm -hmm. But then the question that we want to implant in you is, could you be wrong? And that's kind of the question I want to end with today. But 
You know, you're listening to the Warcast, the official podcast of Warcry Media. Listen to us next time as we continue our series on the NAR. For more information, you can get us at warcrymedia.com. And until then, turn the world upside down, confess, live, and proclaim the faith, and we will see you later. talk some about it the mormon's going to come to you and say hey